0: The following episode contains graphic material and talk of suicide that may be triggering to some audiences. If you are in distress, please call the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline at 1-800-273-8255 to be confidentially connected with someone in your area. People
1: kept telling me, like, you have a story to tell, like, you have a reason for being here. We may not know what it is, but I feel like it's connected with what happened to you. Um, and basically, a lot of people were telling me, like, you might not be able to change your circumstance, but you'll be able to change someone, someone else's life. You're going to be able to make an impact. I can't help but look back and think all the way back in to the day that I killed my dad, um, trying to shoot myself that day, and the gun being empty all the way until now. Countless suicide attempts, um, things that normally would kill someone. So I can't help but think, like maybe there is a reason that I defy the odds. I guess every day is about trying to find that reason, even even after telling my story. Um, trying to use what happens to make a change to better other people's lives because there are so many people out there who probably don't feel like they have a voice and it's taken me almost 10 years to feel like I've even had a voice so I guess my point is that at the time like you feel like it's over and it never really is.
0: We've come to the final episode of this special series, but is it really the end for Crystal Howell? Once a lost and struggling teen, a product of her unstable and tumultuous upbringing, Crystal has accepted the responsibility of taking her dad's life.
2: Now that you've heard all that she went through, did she get the sentence she deserved? It is a topic that is widely contested and hotly debated should teens be given life sentences or do they deserve a second chance at a future i'm melissa mccarty and i'm kelly mcclear we bring you the conclusion
0: of killing dad a first degree mistake
2: Looking back, knowing what you know now, how do you think things would have been different? What would you have done in retrospect?
1: I probably would have ran into the woods and maybe hid or waited or something something different. Anything different, I guess. Maybe let him kill me, I don't know. But I feel like anything would be better than living with it. It's not easy. But honestly, I don't know, because when you're sitting in a jail cell, you know, a million things are into your head. I could have done this. I could have done that. But at the time, it doesn't seem like there are a million options. It only seems like there's one. Now, I know now that my dad was going to kill me. And that's just something that's hard to accept, too, to know that somebody that's so close to you. I don't know. I think of, of the way that it's a betrayal to me and... and in the same way that i feel that betrayal i betrayed my dad so are we really all that different somebody asked me one time after i I was locked up for a couple years they asked me um do you ever wonder how he would have died if you hadn't killed him like that's how they said it um and i just looked at them and i said no that's not what i think of i think of all the ways he might have lived all the changes he could have made. And I, I took that away from him, And did now. I'll never know what he could have been, I'll never know if he could have changed, I'll never know if things could have been better or if I could have got him help. I took that away from both of us and now I guess I'm the one left wondering
0: what could have been. As it stands right now, Crystal Howell will be in her 40s when she's eligible for her first parole hearing. In the meantime, she recently threw a Hail Mary pass by way of filing a MAR, a motion for appropriate relief.
2: Among the items listed in the MAR are newly discovered evidence. The plea was unlawfully induced. The conviction was obtained by the use of a coerced confession and ineffective counsel. For a legal interpretation of this, we asked famed former California Deputy District Attorney, Matt Murphy.
3: So every state has a different name for that sort of thing. Essentially what that is, is she is, um, she's presenting new mitigating information in the hopes that the court will um, reevaluate her sentence. But again, part of the problem here is she did that herself, right? So she threw everything against the wall
0: Crystal doesn't have the money for an attorney and had no access to legal aid in prison, so she filled out the Mar on her own. What she threw against the wall was a lot, but not everything, as you've heard in detail in this podcast. Crystal sent us a copy of the Mar, and the Superior Court Judge for Haywood County denied all nine of the motions Crystal filed
3: away. Oh, more effective strategy. I think for any defense is you take the best piece of mitigating evidence, maybe the best two or three, you focus in on those and say, look, like in her case, here's evidence that my father was actually abusive and this was not presented before. Please give me relief based on that. It's almost like if you have a couple of really good things, you don't want to dilute them with a bunch of crap that that isn't going to help you.
2: We asked Matt if Crystal can file multiple appeals, or if this is possibly the end of the road for her.
3: She may not, depending on the procedure laws of, of North Carolina. She may have exhausted that at the state level, but um, but she can file that in federal district court. She can go to them with a with seeking habeas relief. Um, but she's, you know, she could do that herself. Um, what I see happening in her case probably long before she is successful, um, would be, I see somebody intervening with knowledge of the case or some sort of either national or perhaps legislative change in North Carolina, where juveniles are, you know, afforded additional review. You never really run out of appeals. Okay. Which is another thing. Once you're done with state appeals, that's when you can go to federal court In a case like this. Um, she can have a, she can appeal to, you know, juvenile advocacy groups to sponsor um, an appeal based on the new, this new information. And I I could see that happening.
2: There is another person Crystal could appeal to, the current prosecutor in Haywood County, North Carolina.
3: In this circumstance, I think that um, this woman is certainly going to consider anything that she hears whether the court has denied it or not every prosecutor is trained from day one that you must maintain an open mind and listen to all sides throughout so if you guys presented evidence to her of of abuse um uh of you know something that is truly mitigating i guarantee she would consider it and i wouldn't be at all surprised if in a case like this 30 to life it's heavy for a juvie that, that killed her, killed her own father. That's that's, and especially in a plea, that's that's a heavy sentence. This was her dad. There's a dynamic there. This was she's a product of a, of a bad divorce. She had some mental health issues, and that maybe maybe in that mess, there are, there's enough mitigating evidence in the mind of a good professional prosecutor where she gets a reduced sentence.
2: Well, will that be the case? Can she get a reduced sentence? we went directly to the district attorney for answers. Ashley Welch is the current district attorney for the 43rd district of North Carolina. And she agreed to talk to us.
4: I've been a prosecutor for 19 years. I've never been a defense lawyer. So I'm coming at it from a prosecutor standpoint um, however, this was a really strong case for the prosecution, very strong. And she was risking a lot in going to trial. And so she had to weigh um, whether she was going to take a life with the possibility of parole. And as young as she was, she was granted parole after 25 years, she could still have a life. Or was she going to? take a chance of being convicted of first-degree murder with no possibility of parole. And those would be the two decisions that she was weighing. Now, it's not uh, a great outcome for her by any stretch of the imagination, um, but she could have faced a far worse sentence if she'd gone to trial.
2: Rather than taking her chances at a jury trial, she signed a plea deal But Crystal says she was threatened with perjury by then-public defender Bridget Aguirre if she didn't sign the plea deal accepting first-degree murder.
4: When I read the note, it sounded like Ms. Howell was telling her attorney, I'm giving you permission to engage in plea negotiations to a second-degree murder plea or a life with parole. And life with parole is what she ended up getting. Um, And in terms of what Miss Howell says about her attorney telling her that she would be charged with perjury if she didn't take the plea after signing that—I have such a hard time believing that. Miss um, Aguire, who's now retired, I believe, but she was a very well thought of, reputable, longtime public defender, um, one of the best in the state. I cannot imagine that she would have done that. Um, That just doesn't sound like her. And when I look at everything, and I did look at everything, because I was really concerned, especially after what y'all sent me, the last thing that I wanna do is somebody, have somebody sitting in prison that doesn't need to be there, or is there for too long. And so I have read her file again about five times, and then also sent it to the investigators and sent it to one of my chief assistant DAs, so that it wasn't just me. Um, and we've got her psychological records, her school records, DSS records, all the way back to when Miss Howell's in kindergarten. And so, based on the totality of everything that I have, and then the knowledge that I have of Miss Aguirre and her reputation, I just have a really hard time believing that she would have said that to her client.
0: Ms. Welch went on to explain why Crystals Mar was denied.
4: So in terms of why it was denied, I can't speak for the judge, but I can tell you that when I looked at it, I could tell that it wasn't likely to be an MAR that was going to be granted. Um, I have seen, and a lot of times the judges get those written by individuals on their own, and so it doesn't really make a difference when they're reading it in terms of is it a pro se individual writing it themselves or an attorney, except for an attorney, of course, has the skill set to document exactly what needs to be documented. I will say, for whatever it's worth, and this won't make Ms. Howell feel any better, but the judge that would have reviewed her MAR. Is very very careful, and he, when he reads these, he doesn't just summarily deny them for the sake of denying them. Um, as prosecutors, we're answering these all the time, and um, it didn't even get to that stage. Now, Miss Howell could reach out to Prisoner Legal Services and reach out to attorneys, and they could refile. Um, But when I look at the M.A.R. statute, I don't see, based on what I have right now, a reason for the granting of an M.A.R., unless she knows something that I don't know, which she may.
0: One item that was never presented before was the letter that Crystal's dad, Michael, wrote to Holt that depicted his unhinged mental state.
4: That's the first I've heard of it. Certainly, it's something that would be helpful for us to have a copy of i can't promise you that that's going to make a difference in terms of a new hearing because ultimately at the end of the day what we're dealing with is a young lady who waited till her dad was asleep and killed him in a sleep um now i'm not telling you that there aren't reasons for it i'm not going to tell you that she had this great childhood um and she certainly had mitigating factors. That's what I would call all of those things, as mitigating factors. And that played into our decision in not pursuing the life without parole on her. Um, but certainly part of our job as prosecutors is to do justice. And so that doesn't always mean, and a lot of times it doesn't mean, a conviction or the most serious conviction that one can get. A lot of times the public doesn't understand that. Um, So I'd be interested to see it.
0: Do you believe Crystal's claims of sexual abuse by her uncle and physical and mental abuse at the hands of her father?
4: I do, I do. I mean, I I don't want to say for sure that yeah, she's telling the truth, but one of her mental health diagnoses out of several um, is indicative of a sexual abuse and trauma So that doesn't surprise me. And also in a lot of the ways that Ms. Howell was acting and some of her psychological and her school history and her running away, and she was very sexually active, that's classic um, of a young person that's been sexually abused. And certainly it sounds like in addition to that, it was a very contentious and very difficult uh, divorce between her mom and dad. And she was going back and forth. So I, I, I do tend to believe that.
2: When asking Miss Welch if Crystal had any options or avenues when it came to getting a reduction in her sentence, she brought up the Raise the Age Act that was put into effect in North Carolina in December of 2019.
4: At the time that Ms. Howell committed this crime, North Carolina had not passed the what we call Raise the Age Act. So at the time... The minute that Ms. Howell turned 16, she was considered an adult. Now, that's not the case anymore. Um, The legislature has passed the Raise the Age Act. Um, However, there's exceptions in that act that if you are 16 or 17 years old and you commit a certain class of felonies in North Carolina, first degree being murder, being one of them, you are transferred as an adult.
0: Does Crystal have a chance of say a second chance at a resentencing hearing under the Raise the Age to say, hey, can you take another look at my case and see if I could get a sentence reduction under the Raise the Age Act?
4: Um, You know, I've, I've reviewed all of the motion for appropriate relief statutes. And of course the law went into effect about this life with parole aspect. Um, I don't ever want to say absolutely not, because there's always a possibility. But based on the facts that we have today, and right now, the chances are very slim. Um, A judge would have to find certain factors to grant her a new hearing. And then out of that hearing, she would have, or the judge would have several options. One would be a resentencing hearing, two would be a new trial. Um, three, and you would have to show certain issues, but they could throw out the conviction altogether. But once a plea is entered and, and a judgment is entered, in North Carolina, we have these motion for appropriate relief statutes. And under that statute, uh, in order for someone to be resentenced, very specific things must be shown by the petitioner. So in this case, Miss Howell. Number one, ineffective assistance to counsel. And you've got to show that that counsel would have caused, that ineffective assistance would have caused a different outcome for her. Um, New evidence that we wouldn't have had at the time that we believe and the court would believe that could cause a different outcome. Um, If her constitutional rights were violated, if the statutes changed, um, those are all things that could open her back up to a new sentencing hearing.
2: But what about just based on the medical research of a, a juvenile's brain development, just that alone, you know, where one mistake, um, you know, sets their the rest of their lives?
4: So I believe in that research and I, and I believe with the scientists and all of that research about brain development. So I won't tell you that I don't believe it. However, as a prosecutor, when you're looking at the laws, the laws are what they are for a reason. We're allowed to treat 16, 17-year-olds as adults in certain types of crime, one of which being first-degree murder. That's kind of the ultimate bad act, you know, is to kill someone with premeditation and deliberation. And it's our indication as prosecutors that in this case, that's what Miss Howell did. So we're having to weigh a, a justice and a safety issue. So you're looking at her age, which certainly makes her more sympathetic, her background, her mental illness and her upbringing. But you've got to balance it with the safety to the community and punishment and justice and she will get out and still be an adult and not old. So, in balancing those two factors, I, I feel like that's fair. I mean, the risk that we take—if we say, "Well, your brain's not developed," and we and we know that, you know, until your mid-20s—does that mean that everybody who commits murder gets a pass? And that's really
0: dangerous. Author and developmental psychologist Dr. James Garabino has testified as an expert witness in countless juvenile murder trials. And he disagrees on the safety concern and has a specific time frame
5: most teen killers
0: should serve.
5: I think having worked on you know, many, many, many cases of resentencing of juveniles who committed murder... It's pretty clear that uh, she should get a resentencing hearing um, in which the full story leading up to the murder of her father is told, um, as well as, you know, what the story is in the years that followed. uh, The murder occurred in 2014, so there's a significant period of time to see how she has behaved since then. She's still... uh, was it eight? And she's just about twenty five now. So that it's only now that we could presume that she has a mature brain and has is fully equipped to deal with these issues. So um, I think there's all these reasons why a resentencing hearing and a resentence itself would make sense. Based on my, you know, work in this area for many, many years, I came to the conclusion that. A sort of developmentally appropriate sentence is more like 20 years uh, for a teenager. Enough years to get them to the point where they have a mature brain. And then a period of years, let's say eight or ten, to use that brain to process the issues that got them in trouble in the first place.
2: At the end of our conversation, we encourage D.A. Welch to listen to all episodes of Crystal's story.
4: I will listen to it, and I will let y'all know if I hear something or there's something that caught my interest that changed uh, my mind. If y'all come up with something else, I'm always willing to look.
0: Well, we did come up with something. Since D.A. Welch does not believe Crystal's claim that her court-appointed public defender, Bridget Aguire, forced her to sign a plea deal she didn't want to sign, Crystal took a polygraph, to address those claims. While a polygraph is not admissible as evidence in court, it can factor into prosecutorial decisions. Lisa Ribakov is an EPA advanced trained polygraph examiner with International Investigative Group and the one to administer the testing.
6: Did Bridget Aguirre pressure you into signing the plea? Yes. yes. Did you tell Bridget Aguirre that you... You did not want to accept the plea deal for the first degree murder. Yes. Did Bridget Aguire tell you that you could be charged with perjury if you didn't accept the plea deal for the first degree murder? Yes. Did Bridget Aguire ask you to sign a handwritten note pertaining to your plea deal before you received the actual deal from the DA's office? Yes.
0: What was the result of that polygraph examination regarding her public defender, Bridget Aguire?
6: There were no significant reactions in response to the relevant questions on all three polygraph tests that were administered about this topic. And so what does that mean? That means that she was telling the truth on all three polygraphs. For anyone listening that does not believe the
0: accounts of abuse she experienced at the hands of her dad, Crystal also wanted to address those claims in a separate polygraph test.
6: Did your father ever fire a gun in your direction? Yes. Did your father ever strike you, leaving a mark or bruise in your body? Yes. On the day of your father's death, did your father threaten to harm you? Yes. Did you ever, on any winter evening, did your father instruct you to spend the night in the woods because it was your punishment for running away? Yes. And did she pass, fail, or inconclusive? With regards to this examination and after scoring the physiological tracings that her body produced in response to these four questions, I'm able to render an opinion that no significant reactions were present and that she was telling the truth on all four relevant questions.
0: You spent a couple hours uh, with Crystal during uh,
6: the polygraph examinations. What was your impression of her? Crystal has a great personality. She is funny and vivacious, and she is strong minded considering the circumstances that have occurred in her life and the current situation that she's currently in uh, pertaining to her incarceration. Um, she is educated, she is likable, personable, um, and she, again, she is forthcoming with the information. She's not uh, denying anything pertaining to the responsibility of her actions. She understands that there are consequences for behaviors. And she's just wanting to go ahead and make sure that her side of the story is heard and that what she has been saying this entire time is the truth. And I had the opportunity to validate her thinking and her thought process as well as her memory recall to determine that she is not being deceptive and that she is uh, not showing any indications of the deception.
2: Throughout our months and years of speaking with Crystal, all she has ever wanted is to be heard.
1: I felt like maybe because I was taking a plea, people didn't feel the need to provide the facts or the real evidence or the mitigating factors of my case. And that was something that really bothered me because I feel like I was sentenced and nobody ever really knew what happened. I just don't get why why not do your job right the first time? Why not look into things deeper? Because if y'all can find this stuff out by simply speaking to a few people, why they just, I feel like they wanted to believe
0: the words. Over the years, Crystal's great aunt, Brenda Ennis, has stood by her side through it all. When you heard about the actions of Mike to Crystal, do you believe that that was Mike doing those things? Was that in his character, in his nature?
7: Oh, I believe he, I believe it 100%. But... I think he had snapped. I think he had been gone so far with so much hatred and bitterness in his in his heart that he snapped and went too far and probably couldn't get back. You know, um, you know, none of us want to believe that it's in any of our nature, but if you're hurt enough and you're desperate enough and you're isolated enough and you don't have really anybody to call your own, you're going to do some different things.
0: She killed her father. No doubt about that. Do you believe she deserves to be in prison for the rest of her life?
7: I don't think she deserved prison. I think under the circumstances of what transpired, she needed psychiatric help and healing. And I can tell you had I been in Crystal's place, and I believed the, what she believed, I probably would have did the same thing.
2: For everyone who can't get over the headlines, the sensational headlines. For all the people sitting at home, going like, "I was abused, I was physically beaten, I, I didn't kill." What would you say to those people when it's like, "I had a rough childhood too, I didn't kill"?
7: I would say. Unless you've walked in her shoes, you can't judge when they hear and know the full details of what all transpired. And, you know, a lot of it to me, the sensationalism, I've heard more people talk about what took place. They're just repeating what they were told and heard. You know, they don't know what took place. And the whole circumstances were so far from how it was portrayed. And they want to make it as nasty and salacious as they can possibly make it.
0: We traveled to Maggie Valley, North Carolina, where life has moved on without Crystal. But still there, living with the after effects of this tragedy, is Crystal's good friend, Taylor.
8: I don't think Crystal is a bad person. I don't think she's a monster. I don't think she's heartless. Um, I just think she did a bad thing when she was put in a bad situation that she didn't know how to get out of. And she I'm not going to sit here and say that she hasn't caused trauma for me because, I mean, I'm still going to counseling. I have nightmares. I wake up in cold sweats all the time. But I still love her, and I don't think that if she would have known what this was going to do to the people that she loved, if she would have actually thought about the repercussions of what was going to happen, she never would have done it.
2: I feel like you know her the best of everyone. And what would you say to the district attorney who is looking at the facts? I would ask her to put herself in the position of a
8: scared 17-year-old who has been through mental health issues and that has been exasperated by mental and physical abuse. And the parties that she or the officials or adults that she has tried to reach out to has... I mean, not not done what they were supposed to do. What do you do in that position? I mean, you're, you're not an adult yet. As much as we want to say, you know, 17's close to being an adult, 18's, clo- 18's an adult. Our brains don't stop maturing until we're 25. I mean, it's just, she's not thinking at 100% adult capacity. And on top of that, she's mentally ill. When Crystal pulled the
0: trigger, she never anticipated how many would feel the effects of her actions... As Crystal's friend Summer explained to us. How has
2: this affected you and changed you?
9: This has probably this has changed my life, honestly. Uh I still struggle with it, obviously. That's not something that you ever really get over. Uh, trust wise, I don't really keep friends because of that. <laughs> it affects my day-to-day, <laughs> as it would probably anybody. Eventually, you do get desensitized to it after you, you know, just exposure of exposure. But there's still that trust aspect. I think uh, the more people talk about it, and although it's emotional as hell, obviously, like I feel like <laughs> as, a, as a whole, people need to come together and realize that emotions are normal. <laughs> but mental health is serious. Um, it can cause people to do crazy things that they don't even know, uh, that they, they can't explain themselves like I'm sure she didn't want to do that but you know I can't speak for anybody else but I know how she was I know how she is she's not a bad person she's not
2: at the heart of Crystal's story her case and her childhood is the importance of mental health and seeking help when you needed it the time Crystal has spent behind bars reflecting has given her a deeper understanding of what she went through in her formidable teenage years.
1: I feel like, like I've said, that my my mental illness probably did play a factor in it. I don't think it's an instance where, oh, I'm taking off meds and I just went haywire or anything like that. I just think, I think I needed a stable home and I, a stable environment and a place that was safe, I think those are things I needed um, maybe somebody to listen when I'm asking for help. Why, why didn't I get those things? Is that not an equivalent to a mental health medication? You know, all those factors are important to your mental health. I feel like even if you're on mental health medication, if, if you're thrown in the den with wolves, what's going to happen? I mean, what's going to happen to you? You're going to get eaten alive, like you're not safe. I don't know. I just feel like I feel like it's a crunch. I don't I don't want to blame everything on my mental health. I feel like everybody has their their role in this. I don't think it was all one person's fault. Um, there's a saying. It says, "No snowflake feels like it's responsible for the avalanche." You know. I feel like I was portrayed though to be this like animal basically like like that I just can't behave and I just can't do this I can't do that and it's just always about what I couldn't do I don't know it's really difficult to put into words I just feel like I mean my dad's death is my fault and I take responsibility for that but I don't think it was because I was just this terrible person that wanted him gone it was never anything like that and I feel like that's how it was made out to be that I just wanted to do what I wanted to do, and that's the farthest thing from the truth. Looking back, I think I was brainwashed. Like, I didn't realize it at the time, but I'm a very different person today than I was seven, eight years ago. And I guess I see things a lot clearer now.
0: The life Crystal had all those years ago is all but a glimmer in the rearview mirror. Time moves on. People move away. Friends get married, have families of their own. There's one person, though, that Crystal regrets not having a relationship with the most. Her sister, Sierra.
1: Whenever I was arrested, you know, I tried to tell her what happened. She didn't believe me. But that didn't didn't change how I felt about her. That's still my sister. Like, whether she believes me or not, that didn't change the dynamic of our relationship. She basically told me, like whenever I get out that she's going to be there for me when I come home that she's going to be able to take care of me um stuff like that and you know I just believed her And I feel like something changed like because when I came to prison I've seen my sister once since I've been locked up I haven't received a single letter from her the whole time I've been locked up
2: Crystal doesn't hear much from her mom these days and hasn't spoken to her sister, Sierra, in years. We reached out to both and never received a response. But Crystal hopes the following words will make it to Sierra's ears and heart.
1: I spent a lot of time crafting this letter to my sister, Sierra, just hoping that she'll get the message. Okay. Last week I called Mom and she told me about a mission trip that you went on and how you helped a woman regain her vision after not being able to see for 30 years. 30 years spent in darkness seemed unfathomable to me until I realized that 30 years is a time span I'm all too familiar with. Then I asked myself a question. Will my sister choose to keep her eyes closed to my situation? Will she remain blind for the next 30 years? The Last time I heard your voice was July 4th, 2020. And before that, it was Christmas of 2018. Now I don't even know your phone number. In eight years, you and mom haven't sent me a single letter. I don't know what your favorite color is or what your dogs are named. I don't know what you ate for dinner last week or what kind of clothes you wear now that you're an adult. You don't know what kind of music I listen to or that I dated a girl named Morgan for two years. You don't know that I've tried to commit suicide 17 times over the span of my incarceration, eager to see my dad again. You and I, aren't sisters, we're strangers. How can you hate someone you don't even know? Prisons are made for rehabilitation and growth. I've changed so much in eight years, but you'd never know. And every day that I spend in this silence and solitude, all I can think is that this is how Dad felt when everyone left him alone on the mountain. So this is how it feels like to be forgotten. No one has ever asked me if I'm okay. Not before, not after. I've spent my life keeping secrets and telling lies, fighting to protect the people that I love, struggling to survive. Do you remember the time that dad beat you so bad that you literally had to fight, get away from him? Do you remember that fear? Do you remember having to constantly think before you spoke, afraid that your words would make him angry? None of those things stopped after the divorce. The only difference is that once I moved in with dad, there was no one there to witness the storm. There was no one there to calm it, so it only intensified. For years, all he did was rain down on me and still no one asked. Facing life in prison has been hard to tell. But the hardest part I've been having to face alone. I felt so many things over the past eight years, doubt, fear, anger, confusion, but more than anything I felt alone. You hate me for the things I've done, but I promise you that I hate myself even more. If I could turn back the time, I would do a million things differently, but I'm unable to do that. I've written you countless letters and apologized in every way I can imagine. All I'm able to do now is grow and work on myself daily. I can't continue living my life in this in-between place, waiting for you. But I need you to know that the time and distance that stands in between us will never stop us from being family. Nothing can erase all the afternoons we spent watching cartoons or undo all the road trips we spent bickering in the backseat. I won't forget riding our bikes to the neighborhood pool or sharing each other's clothes as we got older. Despite like odds and arguments, the memories are what makes us sisters. Through it all, I'll always love you.
0: Was it cathartic to you in a way to to put all these things down on paper and then to read them out loud?
1: Um. Yeah, yeah. I just feel like I'm at a point where if she reaches out, I'll be happy. But if she doesn't, I feel like I can move on.
2: While she had a message for her sister, Crystal's first love, Tyler, as a message for her. No, I'm sorry for
1: everything that happened to her. I mean I get that, you know, if she knows if she remembers anything between us that what we both went through was tragic. You know, no child should have to go through any of the things we both went through. And I hate that her her path, you know, took her to something more serious than what mine did. And hope that one day she can accept that everything that happened to her doesn't make who she is. She can still decide who she wants to be and overcome that.
2: Crystal has been incarcerated since 2014, but the memory of what she has done and thoughts of her father still keep her confined to a prison of another sorts, one that exists in her dreams and in her mind.
1: This might sound weird, but like sometimes even when the dreams are bad, I like having him because I, I get to see him again, and that sounds really creepy, but I guess it's just, they're so real that it's like he's alive sometimes. And like maybe this, maybe like this written life isn't my life. Maybe this is all the nightmare, and maybe the dreams are what's real.
0: From hearing you and hearing your story, everybody in your life has let you down. Your father, your mother, your sister. So when the time comes of your 30 years to life, what do you see your life being 25 years from now, 20 years from now?
1: I guess I see a lot of loneliness, like... I'm trying to think how to explain. I don't know, I feel like I can't go home because... I know this is going to sound like weird, but... I have this, like, fear that, like, if I live with my mom or my sister, if they let me come in there, that they're going to be afraid of me. Like, but they, I don't know. That's how I feel at this point. As of this point with the sentence I have, I don't really think about when I get out because, you know, I struggle a lot with depression. So a lot of times when I think about the future, I, I've kind of pictured suicide. I know that's silly, but that's kind of... I feel like... There isn't a future at this point because I, I don't have any job skills. I've never had a license. I've never I'm not gonna have any children. Um I'm not gonna know any of these things, how to thrive in society, so I just feel like some way it's pointless to continue on. Not really knowing how to survive, not not knowing how to pay bills, not Don't have a job. It's not.
0: Not. I'm sorry. Don't be sorry. Not having him to
1: talk to, you know, at night, and not really having someone to guide me and tell me. This is the way you need to go. Like not being able to pick up the phone and call them. guess all those things make it feel real. I don't know. And it just sucks because it's like my whole life, all I wanted was to be somebody that, he could eventually look at and be like, that's my kid, that's my daughter. I raised her, like, a moment where I could make him proud. And now I feel like, where's the moment? I'm living the rest of my life in prison. And I don't just don't know what the moment's going to be.
0: Do you see a day or a time when you you might come out of this dark forest?
1: It is hard because it's like everything that I ever saw in my life I saw with my dad next to me so for me to be standing in that frame alone I don't know even if even if they let me out today it'd be be difficult to find it without him here Well I have a lot of suicidal thoughts like it it is easy to just revert back that whole thing Old way of thinking and be like, well, I want to be with my dad where my dad is, where I want to be. So if I kill myself, I'll be with him. It feels like you're living the same day over and over again. So you feel like you don't have purpose. Like, what is my purpose of being alive just to sit here for until I die, basically?
2: It's a heavy weight we carry in sharing Crystal's story, not knowing how it'll end. Kelly, who's known for her strength, shows the impact of telling Crystal's story. I need you to
0: promise me that you are not going to attempt suicide again.
1: I can't. I'm just going to be honest. I can't promise that because, what if, you know, it's a mental state thing. It's not like I sit there and be like, all right, now it's time to try again. But I, I just, I don't know if I can promise that. Because I don't want to break it.
0: Can you at least make a conscious effort to try?
1: I can make a conscious effort, yes. But I feel like something changed my perspective on it. I don't know, it's like really hard because when I get talking about my dad, that's kind of when it starts. But last time I spoke with my therapist, I was talking to her and I told her kind of my concerns because you know, for the last like year, maybe two, this podcast has kind of been my purpose. It's been what keeps me going to try to get my story out there to help other people. So I asked her like, you know, whenever the podcast is over, what, what do I have and she's just explaining to me, you know, there are people that you're helping out there and if there's a young girl or a young guy that hears what you went through and that you survived it and you're still out there surviving, that's what's going to be important. But if they look you up and see that you've committed suicide, then that's just going to make everything that happened an even greater tragedy. So that kind of changed my perspective a lot on things. I feel pretty good as of the time being. Like, I've been getting sad some, but haven't been thinking about suicide. So that's pretty good.
0: Well, that is one smart therapist, because I'm not going to lie. When we were thinking about the last episode, right? The line, I do not want to have to write or read or say. And I'm going to start crying when I say this, but I don't want to end it with crystal yeah. took her life they don't want that ending Great right, now you got me crying thank you very much <laughs>
1: i'm sorry <laughs> i'm sorry
0: <laughs> so you understand where we're coming from when we say this right we don't want that ending i don't yeah, want that I don't for know. you
1: i guess i guess it took someone outside of my situation to say that because it's, it's easy for someone who cares about me or is invested in the story or things like that. It's easy for someone like that to say, oh, you have things to live for. Whereas my therapist, she's a fairly new therapist to me, so she doesn't really know much about me. But for her to be able to say that, you know, as a, I guess, quote unquote, outsider, I guess that's kind of what made it sink in a little bit deeper.
0: And she's 100% right. I mean, everything we will have, you would have done would be for naught. You know, because yeah. if there was any sense of inspiration in your story it, w- it will all be for nothing because of the outcome so that's why I wanted you to promise or at least make a conscious effort not to I just want to make sure I say that <laughs> yes
1: I will make a conscious effort but I feel like like I said I feel like I'm doing a lot better than I have in a long while but that's really her saying that is what me thinking because I don't I don't know. What if someone's other kid hears it? It's like, oh, well, that's the only way I'm going to be able to make it out, and then that's going to be another life that I'm responsible for having lost.
0: Crystal grew up singing in church, and now the only ones that hear her sing are the concrete walls and the fellow inmates she's behind the barbed wire fences with. Sentenced to 30 years to life, she hopes one day she will be allowed to see the light and walk out of the facility that raised a teen into a woman.
1: Well, I feel like it's a story that needs to be heard so that other people who are going through the same thing can um, kind of, I guess, see the light at the end of the tunnel. Maybe somewhat. I don't know really what that is yet, but I don't feel like it's too little, too late. Maybe for my court case it is but at this point is it really about that or is it how do we how do we stop other people from getting in this situation
0: a petition has been created in an effort to get her case another look for a reduced sentence the petition can be found through change.org entitled please reduce
2: crystal howells sentence Crystal wants to be an example to struggling and lost teens and others who may feel there's no way out. Her story should be one that everyone going through tough times or issues with mental health, sexual, emotional, physical abuse, or thoughts of suicide should take to heart.
1: I want to take all the things that happened to me, not to make people who have been through it look differently, look at it differently, but to stop young people Beforehand, from becoming the thing that I became, um, before it's too late for them, <laughs> <laughs> oh, darling, I'm just a See ya.